Good day, everyone. My name is Angela Carrasco, and I've been asked by Pastor Adam to give you our sermon today. If you've watched the last few weeks' sermons, we are working on a series called It's a Start. Week one was on forgiveness. Week two was on arbitrary morality. And week three was on hearing from God and listening to God. This week, Pastor Adam has asked for me to talk about money. So for the next 20 minutes, I'm going to talk to you about giving to the church. Just kidding, I'm just kidding, just kidding. I'm gonna leave that topic for Pastor Adam. Instead, I'm going to discuss budgeting your finances. Since we are stewards of God's money, I like to look at this topic more as budgeting God's finances. Am I an expert? Absolutely not. But I will say I've devoted a lot of time to watching YouTube videos about budgeting, reading nonfiction books about money, asking questions to friends and family, creating budgets and holding weekly budget meetings with my husband, Miguel, and a big one in conjunction with Miguel, facilitating Financial Peace University courses offered by Dave Ramsey to our church family and community members. So I'm not the expert by any means, but I've spent due time on the subject and it's something I'm passionate about. But to be honest, I'm just a regular person who has made a lot of mistakes with our finances, and I'm here to share our ups and downs. What do you think the number one topic is that couples fight about? Money. We don't have enough in savings. My spouse is making purchases behind my back. They want us to give a $100 wedding gift, but I only want to give 50. They want us to give the kids an allowance, but I think they need to work for their money. They want to get their nails done every two weeks. They want to keep paying for fantasy football each week, and they never win. With all this stress over money decisions, it's no wonder that the leading cause of divorce is money. How many of you are looking at your bank accounts this month and thinking, what have I done? If you're like me, you spent an absorbent amount of money on Christmas gifts, half of which people only use a couple times, forget about, or perhaps discard. I am excellent at budgeting each month until it comes to Christmas. For some reason, I keep spending and spending and spending with no idea on how much I've actually spent. And after all that spending, my five-year-old opens up his first gift Loves it, leaves the Christmas tree, runs over and plays with it, while my 18-month-old takes the box and starts to play in it. That's it. Christmas is over, everybody. No need to open any more gifts. So, of course, I budgeted for the entire month of December, but it's inevitable that every year Miguel asks me how much I budgeted for Christmas, and every year I have to tell them that I went over. I cringe, having to put a limit on my Christmas spending. But I have to remember a key element. Budgeting gives us permission to spend. If I would budget the correct amount, agree to the amount with my spouse, and stick to the budget, there would be no hard feelings. Did you know that in 2018, 39% of Americans couldn't cover a $400 emergency with cash? Instead, they'd have to carry a balance on a credit card, or borrow the money from a family member or a friend. 12% of those wouldn't be able to pay the expense at all. The Federal Reserve System published these statistics and many other sad statistics on their website. That's scary. 
I can name a lot of situations where someone needs $400 in a flash, such as car trouble or a health crisis. Why aren't we, as Americans, one of the most prosperous and educated nations in the world, able to handle a $400 emergency? Today, I want to share with you what a budget is and why we need to create one, what Jesus and the Bible says about money, how to budget your finances, and how, what great things can come from creating a budget. So what is a budget, and why do we need it? Luke 14, 28 through 30 says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish it? Did you know that you are 42% more likely to achieve a goal if you write it down? That's how I view budgeting. Budgeting is allocating every single dollar with pen and paper in a particular place or allocating it in an app. I'm going to share with you the seven baby steps according to Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University class. But you can use any program you choose or do a self-study. The intent is to have a plan. Step one is to save $1,000 in a beginner emergency fund. Step two is to pay off all debt except for the house. Step three is to save three to six months of expenses for emergencies. Steps four and five and six are usually done simultaneously. Step four is to invest 15% of your income for retirement. Step five is to save for college for your children. Step six is to pay off the house. And finally, step seven, my favorite, build wealth and give. So in step one, we need to save $1,000 in a beginner emergency fund. Have you ever had a vehicle that you thought was reliable, but ended up needing to be replaced before you were prepared? What about an AC unit that of course decides to go out in the middle of August? Or a hailstorm hits your roof and you have homeowner's insurance, but you need a $1,000 deductible to get it replaced. These are all reasons to have a $1,000 emergency fund on hand. Proverbs 22 verse 3 says, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Step two, pay off all debt except for the house. Psalm 37:21 says, The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. So now that you have $1,000 for your emergency fund for an unexpected emergency, it's time to pay off all debt with exception of the house. Some people pay the smallest amount off first and then use the snowball effect to pay off the rest of the debt. Others may take the highest interest rate debt and pay it first and then work their way down. Whatever your strategy is, attack the debt. Romans 13, 8, 13 verses seven to eight says, Pay to all what is owed to him, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Step three is to save three to six months of expenses for emergencies. Setting aside money for future expenses is wise. 
1 Corinthians 16 verse 2 states that on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Remember the mortgage crisis of 2008, when many banks on Wall Street were saved by the government. Do you remember one of the big ones that was not? That's right, Lehman Brothers. Miguel and I were living in New York at the time, and guess which bank Miguel worked at? That's it, yeah, Lehman Brothers, of course. Miguel's company had claimed Chapter 11 bankruptcy. So we knew the day would come, and it did, when he was led into a big conference room like cattle being sent off to be slaughtered, and he was notified that his tenure with Lehman was coming to an end. Many of you can probably relate to this. 2020 was a year of uncertainty and stress. Stress of worrying if you were gonna keep your job or business. Stress of wondering if you could make your mortgage payment or pay the electric bill. Did you have six months of expenses saved up, ready for this day to come? Or were you fearful of what your future would hold due to your lack of an emergency fund? Now let's pretend you haven't had anybody in your household lose a job. Have you ever had an unexpected health situation occur where you owed um, or a loved one racked up thousands of dollars worth of healthcare bills? What about a situation where you decided to adopt a child? I looked online to get an idea of the average cost of domestic adoption, and it ranged from $5,000 to $40,000. And I do know someone that paid $40,000 to adopt. A lot of people tend to have children earlier on in their lives. By the way, I wasn't that mother. I had my last child at age 40 and therefore was considered a geriatric mother, but I digress. But either way, this is the same time when we are all trying to buy a house and pay it off, or we're trying to pay off our college loans. Are you ready for that $40,000 expense that you weren't prepared for? This is why it's so important to have three to six months of expenses saved up so that not if, but when a situation like this occurs, we are prepared and can continue living our lives. Proverbs 21.20 says, There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. Step four is to invest 15% of your income for retirement. Back in Jesus' time, they didn't have the stock market, but we were still advised to diversify our portfolios. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verses 1 to 2 teaches us to ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. It is wise to save money. Proverbs 6 verses 6 to 8 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. I think I'm going to use that word sluggard this week. That's just a fantastic word. A couple of years ago, I took a retirement class at my job. Um, Yes, I am a nerd. And it wasn't until then that I realized that when I retire, I need to have a supplemental insurance in addition to Medicare. What? I didn't know this. Nobody told me this stuff. 
That's more that I have to save for now. In order to be prepared for retirement, save money early and let the compound interest multiply your gains. Oh, and ain't no shame in getting a financial planner. I am no expert in investments, so I'd rather pay someone who is to manage them for me. Proverbs 12:15 agrees with this. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. I don't know about you, but I don't want to wait until age 67 to retire. I have places to go, hobbies to do, future grandbabies to spoil. I'd like to retire early to fulfill my dreams. But can I rely on Social Security to do that? Is Social Security even going to be around then? Step five is to save for college for your children. Understand how much you have and how much you will need. Proverbs 21.5 tells us, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. By the time that our five-year-old gets to college, we may have to pay more than six figures for his four-year degree at an in-state institution. That's insane. And did you know that college education increases 6% annually? It's higher than the cost of inflation right now and will continue to increase drastically as long as that students can still get those student loans. Do you really want your children to pay back Sally Mae for five to 20 years like you had to? Have you ever thought about providing a legacy for your children, grandchildren, or great-grandchildren? Proverbs 13.22 says, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. I love this idea. You may not want to pay off all of your kids' college or even any of it, but perhaps you can loan them the money yourself. 529 plans are college savings plans that are tax-free and allow you to save money toward educational expenses for your children, grandchildren, or anyone that you designate. And if you have leftover money in your account, you're allowed to change the name on that account. How cool would it be to pay for your kids' college and have leftover money and roll that over for your grandchildren? Just imagine if they keep passing that on and the amount of wealth that accumulates in your dynasty. Okay, so I say the word dynasty because my son, Xavier, loves the movie Mulan and we watch it like two times a day in our house. And he asked me one day, what does dynasty mean? And I told him, well, in the Chinese culture, they called it a dynasty whenever you had an empire and it kept being left to children in your name. So the name carried on throughout your dynasty. And I thought, how cool would that be to have a dynasty of wealth for you and your family? Step six, pay off the house. Take a look at this construction paper chain that is in the Carrasco household. Each chain represents $500 that we owe on our mortgage. We used to have the entire chain looping back and forth on our kitchen blinds, but it stressed Miguel out so much that we negotiated and we decided to just put a $5,000 chain up at one time. The rest is just tossed on top of our cabinets. This chain stressed Miguel out so much. And I will admit it stressed me out too, but I did a little better than Miguel did. But it's merely a symbol of what we owe. It's not even the actual debt. Imagine how much stress we internalize for the real money that we owe. I really recently just thought about this chain, not only figuratively, but also literally. Proverbs 22, 7 says, 
a very powerful message, I might say. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. In the USA, prior to 1955, prisoners were sometimes chained together to perform physically challenging work, such as clearing land and building roads. Do you know what this group of men were called? That's right, a chain gang. The ankle shackles limited movement and impeded escape. This photo is an excellent depiction of how it feels to owe a debt. Recall Sam Cooke's 1960s classic song, Chain Gang. That's the sound of the men working on the chain gang. Yeah, Michelle, that was my audition for the choir. Sam recalls that the men are working on the highways and byways and wearing a frown. And I'm going home one of these days. Isn't this how we all feel about debt? We'll take care of it one of these days, but in the meantime, we'll keep working to pay it off, wearing a frown, fretting about the debt that we have to pay off. We'll never feel free until that chain is removed. Have you ever owed money to your parents or a friend? Did you try to avoid them at all costs until that debt was paid off in order to not feel ashamed for owing a debt? Did you feel the power they had over you? as if you were chained to that debt and there was no escaping. Being attached to a loan, owing someone, living in a home that someone can take from you at any moment if you're not able to make that payment, that's a scary place to be. One can feel chained to that debt as if they are the servant to the lender or working on the chain gang. Step seven, build wealth and give. First Timothy six, verse 18 says, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. We don't want to wait to be generous until step seven. We can do this the whole time, but this is where we can be really generous. This is the step I'm most forward, looking forward to, giving. I can't wait to be generous with God's money, to give my children what our parents gave to us, to see someone in need and make such a significant difference in their lives because we were at the right place at the right time. I want to be that person that leaves a $100 tip on a $20 bill. John Wesley, founder of Methodism, said, make all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. But what does Jesus say about budgeting? You may recall that Jesus had 40 parables, or in other words, simple stories used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. 11 of Jesus' 40 parables were about money. He spoke more about money than faith and prayer combined. Ecclesiastes 5.19 states, As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. We need to work hard for our money, live within our means, and budget accordingly. 2 Corinthians 9.6 says, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. We've all heard the phrase, keeping up with the Joneses, where you basically see everything that your neighbors have and you want that or even more. Why do we feel as if we have to outdo one another? 
I heard Anthony O'Neill, who is a host of a show about money, once say that he looked at his purchases and 50% of them he buys so others can see them. Examples of this could be cars or clothes. This is a guy who knows what to do with his money, teaches it, but still says that 50% of his purchases he buys for show. Why do we buy stuff we don't need to impress people we don't know? It's okay to wear hand-me-downs. For a um, side note, do you remember those chick jeans from the 90s? It was spelled C-H-I-C like chic, but pronounced chick. Well, they were those high-waisted jeans that were so tight you had to like lay on the bed and suck in your gut and pull up the zipper to be able to, to close the zipper. Well, my sister, my oldest sister, got a pair of those as a hand-me-down. She wore them, and then when she was done with them and outgrew them, she gave them to my middle sister, and then when she was done with them and outgrew them, she gave them to me. Well, seven years later, chick jeans weren't so chic, but I still wore them for work jeans on the farm, but I will admit it was very hard to buck bales of hay when you're bending over and you can barely bend because it's so tight in the gut, but I did it, I did it. But even nowadays, I love hand-me-downs for my kids and I accept them graciously. Cut the cable! I actually realized that trying to watch the DVR gave me so much stress because I always thought I wasn't going to be able to get all my episodes in before they started deleting. So I'd be stressed out and it made it almost a task to have to watch those episodes every night. So when we pulled the plug and just stuck to Netflix, I was so relieved. It's okay to buy used cars. Ditch the gym membership. I'm really guilty of this one. I go like three months in a row, and then I stop for about six months in a row, and then I go for maybe two months in a row. So I'm very much guilty of this one. I will admit to my hippo hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite, let's just say that. Do you think you can maybe just do YouTube workouts at home or take a walk with a family member or meet up with a friend for a bike ride? That's getting exercise too. Negotiate. Negotiate the rates on your internet. Have you ever looked into different insurance carriers and revisited what you're currently buying? Because I know when we did that once, we found out that we were paying for renter's insurance that we already got when we rented a vehicle. That was a waste of money. What are your credit card interest rates? Negotiate those. You can do that. In fact, get rid of the credit cards. You don't need those. You spend more with credit cards than you do with cash because cash holds an emotion. And don't tell me that because you're getting sky miles or you get cash back that you want to keep your credit cards because, believe me, I've been there. I've done that. I thought the same thing until I realized how much more I'm spending on those credit cards every month when that $1,500 bill came in at the end of the month. And I didn't have $1,500 in my checking account. So I had to take it from my savings account to pay that off. When I got rid of my credit cards, I now know if I don't have the money in my account, I don't need whatever I'm trying to buy. So now, I don't have that stress anymore. Get a side gig, drive an Uber, deliver for Grubhub, donate plasma. This is the mother of all ways to make money. I love donating plasma, it's my quiet time. I get to sit there for an hour, pumping away, doing whatever I want, instead of hearing my kids saying that they want something to eat, or that my husband's coming up and asking me to do something for the kids, get their baths done before he's done working, or the dog barking or ringing the bell saying he wants to go outside, I can just sit there and pump away and relax and make money. It's a win-win. Oh, and triple bonus, 
Plasma saves lives. So what else can you do? There's so many things that you can find online for making money or saving money. But the point is just to start. So how do you create a budget? You can do it with an Excel document, have your budgeted num numbers, your numbers that you spent, keep track of it through the week. Make sure that those expenses roll over every month because you know every month how much you're gonna be paying for that mortgage. You don't have to use an Excel spreadsheet. You can use paper, pen, and a calculator. Or you can get an app. I find this to be the easiest way because every single month I can just look at that app and I can see those expenses coming in and I can budget for them with just a little whoosh of my finger, which I could do by donating plasma, by the way. The point is you need to be able to account for your money. Account for every single dollar. You tell your money where to go. Don't let it dictate you. You can use online tutorials. You can take a class such as Financial Peace University. Ninja plug, Miguel and I facilitate this course every year. Allocate more for food than you think you need because that's what everyone underestimates on. Think about those once per quarter or once per year payments that you don't always think about, such as pest control or taxes. It's gonna take a few months before you're comfortable with budgeting, but you notice patterns and it gets easier over time. I promise it does. Find an accountability partner such as your partner or a sibling that makes you check in weekly with how the budget is going. Budget with one another. Be on the same page. There are always spenders and savers in every single relationship. We and our partners don't align in our lives hardly ever. But that's why they came up with a category called blow money. That's meant for you to go out and spend on whatever you want and your partner cannot complain about what you just spent that on. But this is hard. Yes, it is hard in the beginning, but it gets easier. Some people think it only takes 21 days to start a habit. Others say 66. But either way, you just have to start. So how can you stick with it? For me, one of the best ways is to have a why. Here's our why. Miguel and I want to travel someday. We want to be able to pay our college expenses for our children. We want to buy a house for his mother so that she can be close to her grandbabies. We want to grow old and healthy and happy together and dance the night away. We want to have a scholarship fund for a friend that tragically passed away in his memory. We want to give. When we really want to go out to eat, you have to think about that $10 that you're about to spend on a gut, mister, gut buster meal from McDonald's, which is oh so delicious. But think about what that $10 can be spent for instead. Maybe you're saving it up for a meal on the beach for your next vacation. Or maybe you can take that $10 and invest in a 529 plan to maybe be $60 in the future for your college savings for your kids. I am motivated by keeping a spreadsheet of our IRAs and our retirement plans and see how much they grow. They say that your money doubles every seven years. You better believe Miguel and I want to retire millionaires. Is it an unrealistic expectation? No way. Anyone can do it. If you budget God's finances appropriately. 
When you automatically deduct things, you don't even miss the money. Pay bills automatically and avoid the late fees. Automatically deduct that 15% toward retirement from your paychecks. Automatically set up payments to kids' 529 plans. Automatically pay an extra amount per month toward your mortgage. Pretend as if that's the new mortgage payment. Increase your giving by a percent every year in order to train you to live without that money. So what now? Find an accountability partner and set a financial goal for the year. It can be as easy as doing a monthly budget check-in um, or with your accountability partner once per week. Maybe watch Right Now Media or listen to podcasts on budgeting God's finances a few times a week. In January 2019, I set myself up for failure. I made some New Year's resolutions in seven categories. I had fantastic goals, but if you had to ask me to name all seven of them off the top of my head, I couldn't have done it. It's like the seven dwarves. You're always going to forget one of them. I had too many goals. They were complicated. I absolutely overwhelmed myself with unrealistic expectations. And in doing so, I set myself up for failure. Was it a complete failure? No. I did finish at least, I think, three. But I put too much pressure on myself. Don't set outrageous goals. Keep them simple. Make them smart, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound. I know this is overwhelming, but just start with one thing. For example, your goal could be to save $6,000 in your savings account by December 31st, 2021, by having an automatic deduction of $500 taken out each month throughout 2021, and this would be used toward a down payment on a new home and will prepare me for a new mortgage payment of $1,500 per month, since I currently pay $1,000 per month in rent. Post your goals wherever you can see them and have that why right next to them so you remember why you're doing those goals. So what great things can come from creating a budget? Creating a spending plan will help you become financially free. Freedom! Imagine that chain being released from you. What would you do if you didn't own, owe a car payment every month? That's $500 every month. What would you do with that? What if you could leave a legacy, or as we like to say, a dynasty? Creating a budget avoids surprises. You're not going to forget those property taxes that are due every single December, but somehow sneak up on you right after you spent all that money on Christmas presents. Sorry, I got worked up on that. Life insurance. I forget about this every year, but when I started writing it down, I know that that payment comes up in November. Teach your children. More is caught than taught. I love that phrase. More is caught than taught. Here's a picture of a piggy bank that we used with Xavier, who's five. He doesn't know much about investing or saving or giving or spending, but he definitely is good in that spend category and likes to put his money in that part of the bank. But the point is, is that he sees this every time he puts money into his bank and he has to stop and think about where he wants to put it. So talk about finances in front of your kids. Let them see you have those monthly and weekly budget check-in meetings. They will learn so much by what you do. And finally, live out your why. 
I wanna thank Pastor Adam for asking me to share my personal experiences with you today and teaching you what I know on the topic of budgeting your finances or budgeting God's finances. In his sermon on forgiveness, Adam asked, what are we missing out on in life because we never start? I hope you leave here today with one smart financial goal in mind. Write it down and make this a resolution for your year. Even if you have your finances in order, think about what you can do to give back or create your family dynasty. Whatever you do, make a start and lead your way to financial peace. Please join me in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for allowing us to be stewards of your money. Help us to be responsible and fulfill your wishes. Help us to break the chains of control others have over our finances and give us the knowledge and strength to pave our pathway to financial freedom. Remind us to just start and seek your wisdom through prayer. In your name we pray, amen.